Eve and, and God's heart for the nations, including our own. And in the context of that, one of the things about short-term missions, there's been a lot of studies done and a lot of, a lot of questions about short-term missions. And I think the, the deal for us is this at Vintage. We, we do short-term mission trips for one simple reason. We believe that it changes the heart of us so mightily that we come back changed people who then want to bring change here and across the nations. And so the idea for us is this. Do we believe that short-term missions changes the world? In all honesty, no. Short-term missions is not going to change the world and thousands of trips that have gone out, right? But what we find is those trips, God uses them to change our hearts our hearts are awakened to the nations like never have been before. And then we come back and say, God, we've experienced you in such a supernatural way. God, what do you have for us now? And he opens up doors here or opens up the doors for you to do something. That's what happened with Brandon. Brandon, if you hear his story, his story is he went to Kenya to do worship for, this, for uh, some sort of thing. And God so moved his heart that he now started this feeding program for all these schools that he visited. Did he change Kenya when he went for those couple of weeks? Absolutely not. But is what God did in his life there changing Kenya? It is. And so that's kind of what we do. We say, God, we want to go and have ourselves pulled out. Listen, don't you all know that when you get outside of your American life, you actually become more awakened to God in everything in your life? You know what I'm talking about? And so that's kind of how we go. We want to help you disconnect. We've got to take you, some of you, all the way across the ocean to do it. No, right? But we want to help you disconnect so you can hear God, see God, allow him to move in you and to figure out what he wants to do with you uh, when he gets back. I, I said this in the first service. I want to say it here also. Um, for this, we're going to Guatemala. This is a women's retreat. You're doing a, a women's retreat for these women, and it's really kind of young adults, 13 to 18 years old. And, and, and we really, and this is when, when Randall was talking about it, I was like, this is, this is awesome. I, don't know, I felt compelled for our women to be a part of this. And so, men, I want you all to hear me real quick, okay? Our women are afraid to go and afraid to ask you because they don't think you can watch the kids for an entire week by yourself. Okay? They're afraid to ask you. Some of them right now, God is moving on them, but they're afraid to bring it up because of how you're going to respond. For any of these trips... And so what I want to encourage you, men, I want you to pay attention. You can do it. And I want you to go to your wives and say, if you would like to go, I would like to make that happen for you. I'll be fine with the kids. I'll call my mom. Right? Now, seriously, whatever it's going to take. So I want you to open that door for your wives to be able to make that happen and uh, so that they can go. Okay? Is there, guys, you okay with that? you okay with that, guys? Okay, thank you very much. All right. Well, let's jump in this morning. So we've been talking about this idea that, that God, that Jesus, hear this, Jesus the human being is our model. Real simple. Jesus the human being. For those of you in theological terms, Jesus is called the second Adam. The first Adam failed. He fell into sin. So Jesus came, according to 1 Corinthians, to be the second Adam, so that as a human being, he is now the model that we are all to aspire to. That's the second Adam language. Basically, 
He's the second Adam. He is a human being that we are to model our lives after. He is our ideal. Okay? And so when we, so we've been talking about that. And the idea that, that Jesus is our model, then how he lived his life, what he experienced, what he went through. Again, it is our model. So he said that in the life of Jesus that we see preparation happening. Right? He went into the, into the desert where he was tested and tried by the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights while he fasted. It was a season of preparation. We said that he was prepared by the Holy Spirit descending upon him and then him being empowered. Being empowered and being empowered with the humility. There's this preparation. Jesus is the model. So, so if Jesus had a preparation for ministry and for a calling on life, then God is always going to be moving in us, preparing us. Preparing us and getting us ready for whatever he has for us today and tomorrow and the day after. God is always growing and maturing us. And we said last week, and this was a little hard for us to have a touchy-feely picture of God, we said... Jesus is unafraid to get into your face and offend you for the purpose of maturing and growing you. And I didn't do this in the first service, but let's kind of put it in the context of language we understand. So for all of you who are parents or who had parents, right? My role in my life is not to be my, listen, is not to be my kid's best friend. The role that I play in my child's life is to love them, to discipline them, to challenge them, and when needed, to wholeheartedly, with every fiber of my being, offend them. Because if I'm not, if I'm a, if I'm a good parent, then I will do that. I will offend them and say, well, I want to do this. I don't really care what you want to do. That's going to kill you spiritually and mentally and emotionally, so you are not allowed to do that. Oh, mommy, dad, it's not fair. I don't really care what's fair. It is right, and I'm willing to offend you because I love you. So we understand this language, right? Offense, God does this in our lives. It is not God's goal to make you happy. It is God's goal to make you holy. Do you understand? Do you hear me? Joel Osteen's going to tell you, be happy. And I look at you and say, don't listen to him. God wants you to be holy. And so he will offend, he will challenge, and he will press. So why do I, we talked about this last week. We said, we read through in, in verses like, I don't know, it was like 20-something through like 30, We said, Jesus came and offended good church folks so badly that they literally took him to the edge of the cliff to throw him off and kill him. Did you ever feel like that with your parents? I did. And I look back and praise God for it. I praise God that they were willing to offend me and not let me dictate how I lived my life. And so God, Jesus did the exact same thing. And what he's trying to do in the offense, we said, he's, listen, he's trying to kill our selfishness, our self-absorption, our hyper-independence, our life focus and revolving around self. Jesus is trying to kill our selfishness, and he's trying to kill our religion. Like, 
our little r religion, that, that part we create a faulty image of God that's not accurate, that literally keeps us from loving him and serving him well. And so Jesus is unafraid to offend us. And so let's just press pause real quick. If, I were, if, like if we were doing lunch together or, 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 you, or you, were, you were taking me to coffee, which you can do anytime you want, right? If we were doing coffee together, that's what I would say to you in this moment. We'd have a conversation about it. Man, like how have you been offended this week? Like honestly, like have you, how have you been offended? Who offended you this week? What moment offended you most? And then I would say, so in that offense, do you think that was for the purpose of your growth? Or because the enemy was stirring in your life? What a part of you got offended and why? Have you ever heard the language when Paul says, to live is Christ, right, but to die is gain. I'm a, he says, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dead man. And the idea is that you can't hurt a dead man. When they're dead to themselves and dead to their pride and dead to their arrogance and dead to this desire to climb the ladder and make themselves known, when we're dead to that, you can't offend me because I'm dead to that. I'm only alive unto Christ. And so what God's trying to do, whether you like it or not, is kill you. He wants to offend you to kill the stuff inside of you that keeps you from being mature and holy and set apart. Does that make sense? So So all I'm asking you to do this week is when you get offended, just pull back and go, why did that, why, why? What part of me just got offended and does it need to die? Does that make sense? It's it's, it's a great practice. It's a great practice of our lives to be self-aware of, God, why did I just get so offended? Why, when my wife said that, did I get offended? What part of me got offended in that? When I was talking to so-and-so at work, got offended. Why? What is it? And wonder and pray through, God, is that something you're actually putting your finger on, you initiated the offense for the purpose of growing and maturing me. And I'm just going to let you know up front, you're going to be amazed at how many times it's your selfishness, your pride, and a lot of times your religion that God's trying to kill to make you mature and prepared for the call he has in your life. That's what we see in Jesus, right? There's this preparation moment. He goes to go down to the desert. It's, just, it's a difficult moment. And the thing I want to say, and this is kind of a takeaway for this morning, is this, our preparation and sending is of highest priority to Jesus, just as Jesus' preparation and sending was a high priority. So again, we talk about this, and I think it's really important you put it in the language of, of, of parent-child. Because Scripture is very clear, God disciplines those whom he loves. And this is hard for us, because I still don't like disciplines as much as I hated it when I was 3, 4, 5, 13, 18, 20, 23, 20, I'm on down the road, right? And so discipline is a gift, and it's difficult, but it's for our preparation of God moving and preparing us. So we look back at Luke chapter 4, verse 31, and, it, and we, we begin to see, as we're going to read it here in a second, is the beginning, the true beginning of his ministry. Jesus has, has now gone, he's been baptized, gone through the, the trial, he's been empowered by the Spirit, right? He walks in the power of the Spirit, he goes, goes into the synagogue and reads Luke 4 and said, 
to read Isaiah 61 says, hey, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Everyone claps and cheers. He offends the snot out of them. Literally, he offends the hell out of them, literally, right? And they want to go, oh, right? And he just walks right through them. Pick up in verse 31, and we begin to see this ministry of Jesus. And what we begin to see, I want you to read when we read through this, is Jesus has been prepared, and the result, listen, the result of his preparation now is authority. He has authority. He expresses authority and power. And we're going to begin to see this. If you had to, you had to take, break this 31 through 44 and put it by itself, what you need to do when you read Scripture, read sections and kind of create themes. What's, what's the writer trying to say? What's God trying want me to see in this? The theme of this is the authority and the power of Jesus. Okay? So let's read through this together and see this central theme together. I want you to listen. As I read, highlight in your mind or with your, with your pen, whatever, either the word power and authority. Okay? Highlight them. Or... Moments that express Jesus' power and authority. They aren't necessarily using the words, but you're seeing it expressed. This is like a Bible study tool I'm helping you learn right here, okay? To take a theme, highlight it, learn about it, and dive into it. Here we go in verse 31. The theme is authority and power. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. On the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his hands, excuse me, his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, and come out of him. And the demon threw the man down the ground before them all and came out with, without injuring him. Press pause. If that kind of sent shudders, like a shuddering down your spine of fear, that was not Jesus. I read this all the time. I read that and I well up with like, yes, Jesus, this is who you are. If you are stricken with fear then we need to be aware of that and let it go because it's not the Lord. It's the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy the understanding of his power and authority in our lives. Does that make sense? All right? I want This is a gift to you. Recognize there is no fear in God. I want you to see his power and authority. I want you to see what that means for his people, what it means for us, right? Because then it goes on. All, listen, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are, what word these are, these are right? With power, so with authority and power, he gives us orders, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread over the surrounding area. Verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon or Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, rebuked the fever, right, authority, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. Power and authority. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You're the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Authority and power. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, 
I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the towns around me also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. We see authority. We all intuitively, each of you understand authority. You know people who express authority. Authority is intuitive the same way that we think of it, right? It, here in Scripture, it's taken with this Greek word exousia. Exousia, and it refers to a person having a right to do something and the power to do it. The right to do and the power to be able. The right to do and the power to be able. But in the scripture, the word authority specifically relates, listen, to an authority that is delegated. Or an authority that is given by someone else. So what I want you to see is this. Authority is delegated authority to a person who now has the right to do something and the power to do it. So the simple picture. Someone's giving another person authority. This person authority is giving someone else that authority, and they have now the right and the power to do it. So the picture is, think about crossing guards. Right. Let's say tomorrow I went out to your child's elementary school or the closest elementary school to you. And I thought, mm, today would be a great, I just want to be a crossing guard for the day. So I walked out there, parked my car, walked out in the intersection, and it went like this. Right? What are people going to stop, aren't they? Because there's some random guy in the middle of the road putting his hand up. And that would be awesome. Watch my power. Right? Watch my power. I'm a man with power but no authority. Right? I have power to make you stop, but I have no authority. Why? Because authority is something that has to be given. So a police officer drives up and says, what are you doing? I'm playing crossing guard for the day. He goes, you cannot do that. Yes, I can. No, you can't. And he puts me in handcuffs and puts me back in the car. Well, imagine if all of a sudden, out of the great grace and this great compassion, he says, in fact, let's go into the school. So we walk into the school together, and he looks at the principal and says, Hey, this guy wants to this guy wants to be a crossing guard for the day. Alright? That was a crossing guard for the day. And the principal goes, Are you cool with that? And he's like, Yeah, I'm cool with that. Well, let's do it. So they hand him their yellow, yellow yellow vest with little reflectors on it, and give him a red stop sign with a handle on it. Right? And all of a sudden now he walks out in front of the school with authority and now the right and the power to stop cars. See the difference. And so you have this whole dynamic going down, right? You have this whole dynamic now of, of, of authority and power. And so in the moment, right, I have authority because someone has given it to me. I have the right to stop cars and the ability to do it. Parents, you have authority because God gave it to you over your children. That's why children, this, they can be your friends, but they are, you are first their parents. You have authority in their life given by God to put your hand up, the right to and the ability. President Obama, we voted him into power. Ten years ago, he had no authority, had no right to do anything. When he leaves office, he will no longer have authority over anything. The idea is authority is something that's given by someone else in authority, to give you the right to do something and the power to do it. Do we see this picture of authority? So, so this idea of Jesus, it says in Matthew 28, verse 18, when Jesus says, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's this delegated authority given to him with the ability and the right to do the things that he only can do. And so that's what we begin to see here in the scripture is Jesus's authority given to him, his right to do it, and his ability to receive three different things that Jesus has authority in. First, his authority to teach. Verse 31 and 32, we read it a second ago, it says this. Jesus went on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. It's important to recognize here, if you look back at Mark, the same story in the book of Mark, Mark says this is a contrast between Jesus' teaching and the teachers of the law. And the simple way of saying is the teachers of the law could only regurgitate. They could only take what had been told to them and then say what had been said. But Jesus had the ability to interpret and to apply in this specific situation. So he begins to take the scripture. He begins to teach it. He begins to apply it. He begins to apply it to them. And all of a sudden, scripture comes alive to them. They go, oh, my gosh, he has authority. Right, there's this level of, there's this level of, this, this power and this ability to do something these other guys can't do. And the thing that I recognize is that Jesus' authority is simply birthed out of his knowledge and experiential knowledge of the Father. He's not teaching what someone else told him. He's teaching out of his knowledge from relationship with the Father. He has authority in the moment. And so in this, right, Jesus teaches, he has authority. God has given him this ability. He now has the right to teach, the right to interpret, and the ability to do it. This is unique. We keep on going on. In verse 33 through 35 and verse 41, I look at these real quick. Jesus comes in verse 33 and says, There was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. The demon cried out the top of his voice through this man. Go away. What do you want with this Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Jesus says, be quiet. I really want to know if he said shut up. I just want to know that, right? Be quiet. Shut up, right? Come out of him. The demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. We go down to verse 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You're the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. Listen, to talk about demons in our culture can be a little bit unnerving, can't it? Like, it'd be a little frightening. People. I read it earlier and you went, Oh, I hope I never see that. Oh, I would never see that. Oh, that'd scare me, right? But in the moment, right, it can be frightening for this very reason. The unknown factor. The fear of the unknown. We, most of us, have never seen nor experienced what is described in Scripture. So some people say, well, then it can't be real. Right? can't be real. The Enlightenment says you can't, the humanism, whatever is, whatever is reproducible, whatever is physical and tangible and is here, that's what is real. Whatever can be seen and experienced with our senses. And so we can't, we've never seen and we've never experienced, therefore this must not be real. I don't know what was going on. There's probably some sort of psychoanalysis thing going on over here. Some mental problems. They really need a counselor, right? Whatever's going on over here. 
But the problem with that is that this is the most reproduced miracle in all of Scripture. Again and again and again and again. There were people who were really smart back in the day who were realizing something's going on with mom over here. I don't know what it is. She's talking in a man voice. I have no idea why. Listen, I forget, I was in Brazil back in college, and I was a college kid, you're about to see why, right? I'm a college kid, and we're, and we're ministering at this local church, and, and, uh, and we have a group of pastors. A bunch of pastors from the area had come, and it's just a large sanctuary, and, and there's about, uh, about eight pastors, and we kind of all line up in the front, and we kind of create this tunnel. They call it a prayer tunnel, right? And they kind of create this tunnel, and, and then you'd walk through, and you walk through, we just pray for you. We lay our hands on you and pray for you, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing freaky, nothing scary. Just going to lay hands on you and pray for you, and, just love on you and encourage you, right? So there was this woman who walked in early, probably the only one with a small kid. The kid's a five-year-old boy, super cute. She was really nice and smiley and that kind of stuff. It was great. And so she's sitting there, and, and so this line forms of people. And, and, and I'll never forget, she's in, so she comes up in line, and she seems disturbed, right? She's disturbed. She's not happy. Some things are going on. She's not comfortable, I can tell. But she's in line, and, and she comes up under the line, and the very first pastor puts his hand like on a safe place on her shoulder and she immediately like like hisses like a cat and tries to claw him and i'm like i gotta touch her neck to see what happens this is gonna be awesome right so sure enough she comes by me i'm like Boop! and she goes I'm like that was awesome let's do it again Boop! the college kid right i'm just like this is like a game to me and poor five-year-old boy's gone What's up with mommy? (laughs) Get me out. So anyway, so so we kind of realize something's going on here spiritually. So we need to express the love of Jesus to her because God wants the oppressed to be set free. So we took her to in a side room over here with another man, another woman, and they ministered the love of Jesus to her cast a demon out of her, set her free in the moment, and she fell in love with Jesus. Listen, when I was growing up in the Baptist church, I'll never forget missionaries would come home and they would live in tension with the mission, the Southern Mission Board because they would come. Listen, I, I said it with so many missionaries. They'd say, they'd come home and say, we don't know what to do with our faith. What do you mean? Because we're seeing people healed and we're seeing demons cast out and we're told that doesn't exist anymore. This is back in 1985. And I remember, and they're like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And, and it began this great revival, honestly, among the leadership of like, what among the Baptist movement? What do we do here? Because all of our missionaries are experiencing this. We said it didn't exist, but it obviously does, and so there's an embracing and a blessing of their missionaries. Listen, I know so many of us would love for us to teach a class on this, and we really need to. Not so we can teach a class on the how-tos of casting out demons, because we've seen the seven sons of Sceva in Scripture who got their butts whooped by demons. I want to teach you how to fall so in love with Jesus that that authority is passed down. And you don't cast demons out of it because like a college kid, this is fun to do, but because you love people so much, you want them to be wholly and completely set free. 
We see this in the ministry of Jesus. He had authority over evil spirits. And the last one, this is real simple. You've seen it again and again in Scripture, verse 38 through 40. We see his authority over sickness. Jesus went home to Simon Peter's house, right? His mother-in-law was suffering from a fever. They asked Jesus to help, so he bent down over her, rebuked the fever, and she was immediately healed, a working of a miracle, right? She got up at once and began to serve. It goes on down later. They brought people in verse 40 who had all various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Listen. Jesus had authority. Listen, this is important, all of you who who recognize the power of sin at the fall. Jesus' intended desire was for humanity to live in, in the Garden of Eden. That was his intended plan. When that didn't happen, he sent his son so that it could return back to that, because whatever his intended plan was, that's what it will be for eternity. So all I'm saying is this. God's desire is that demons don't have more power and that people don't live in sickness because that was not his intended plan. He wants to set us free. He wants to move. He, Jesus moved with authority to set people free. Now, if you'll go back to the first couple of weeks of January, you'll remember Luke chapter 9 and 10 and said, Jesus said, my authority I give to you, to the disciples, go cast out demons and cure all diseases. And he sent them out two by two to do ministry. And we said, Jesus can only give that which he possessed. The only authority that he had had been given to him by the Father. That's what he gave to his disciples. So if you're putting two and two together, I'm telling you, Jesus walked with this level of authority. And we've already said it's the authority that he gives to his disciples. And we should go, oh, my gosh. Because I see a church that partially ministers in the authority of Jesus, but unfortunately too rarely. And so this morning we come and say, the preparation that Jesus is doing, that he is doing for eternity, the work of preparation, the allowing of you being offended, the work of God to mature and to grow you is ultimately so his authority can be released inside of you and through you so that those who are incredibly broken and oppressed can be loved by God and set free. The things that we see in Jesus, I want to just name these two things quickly, that I think were the cause, the ultimate result of, his, of God's authority being put on them. Hear that again. The, the, the cause, the, the reason God is able to put his authority onto Jesus and his authority move through Jesus is this. Authority through humility and authority through submission. We've already read it. 34 and 35 and verse 41, Jesus looks at the, 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 these people who are possessed by demons, oppressed by demons, and says, Be quiet. Don't tell anyone who I am. Shut your mouth. Stop talking. It is not my season. It's not my time. This is not the moment for me to be exalted. Why? Because Jesus already said earlier, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We saw humility when he was being tempted 
In the desert, we see humility being presented in the moment when he says, it's not about making much of myself. It's not about you exalting me in the moment. My time will come. It's not quite yet. I'm only here to glorify God. I'm only here to make much of him. I'm coming in humility. God's authority was able to rest upon Jesus and move through Jesus because he manifested He manifested humility of making it about him, not focusing on self and focusing on worshiping God only. His victory over temptation became the place of authority in his life. The area of God's victory in your life becomes the place of authority in your life. The second thing is authority through submission. I love this. And it tells, it tells us in, uh, that Jesus went to a solitary place down there. It was in verse, uh, verse 42. Went to a solitary place. And Mark tells us that he went to a solitary place to pray. And I love this picture. Because we don't know exactly what was said in that place. We don't know exactly what was said by Jesus. We don't know exactly what was said in that conversation. We just know they're having a, they had a relationship. They're having a conversation. They were talking. And when Jesus came out of that moment with God, it was very clear that he came out from his time with the Father with a strong conviction to continue moving to all the towns and preaching. And this is important because it's the idea of worship God only and serve him only. Listen, he could, listen, everyone's clamoring. Imagine the moment if you felt compelled the Lord came up here, you laid hands on every single sick person in this room who is struggling from like a broken toenail to cancer, and every single person was healed, and all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, did you see what they did? Did you see what they did? And they make much of you, they talk about you, and they're like, you gotta stay here, you gotta stay here, let's get everyone to come, and, and, and you're like, yes. Let's do that. God's moving in me, right? And make it all about a person and all about a moment and all about a place. And Jesus says, it's not about me staying and being idolized and putting on a pedestal and put on Instagram and on Facebook for everyone to talk about and in the news and bring all the news stations. No, I'm compelled to leave here and to continue to submit myself and my will to the work of the Father. Do you see that work? Every moment of every day, submitting to God what God wanted him to do, not what he wanted to do. His selfishness and his pride would say, yes, I want to stay here with you. This was such a great moment. I just want to sit in it and stay in it as long as possible. Jesus says, no, I was just talking to the Father, and I've got to keep on going. Authority through humility, and in this moment, authority through submission. Jesus is our model. He reveals here that humility and submission to God releases authority. God loves us. He is our model. He wants to move through us. And he wants for us to pursue him with humility and submission. This morning as we end our time and the worship team is going to come, we can prepare for ministry. The thing I want you to recognize this morning in the midst of all of this, you don't belong to yourself. Your time does not belong to you. Your energy and your money and your resources don't belong to you. Just to kind of put in the context of our culture, and this is not to step on toes, but kind of, your extra bedrooms in your house don't actually belong to you. 
your money that you work hard for doesn't belong to your Saturday mornings, sorry, they don't really belong to you. They belong to the Lord to do with as he pleases so that you can be like Jesus, living in humility, saying it's not about me. Philippians 2, Jesus, being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God's new grasp. He took the very nature of a servant and humbled himself to death, even to the point of death on a cross. Not my will, Father, but yours. John the Baptist you have to, in, he must increase in visibility. I must decrease. It's not about me, my time, my money, my energy, and my resources. I'm submitted to him with my will, my time, my actions, my, my thoughts, my feelings, and every part of me. I submit my offense to him. Why? Hear this. The good news is this. Jesus loves you too much to leave you where you are, not walking in the authority and in the empowerment that he has for you. He wants to bring you into the school, wants to give you a yellow vest with reflectors on it and a stop sign in life. He wants to give you his authority, the right to do all of this and the power to do it. The question is, how are you doing it willfully submitting yourself to God in humility, not fighting him, not defending your actions and defending yourself when God tells you to do things that may be difficult and uncomfortable? Let me tell you, we can pray until we are blue in the face for a move of God. He will not move until his people are walking fully submitted to him and humbled before him in everything that they know to humble themselves in. Preparation produces submission and humility so that God's authority can be passed into us so he can move through us. This morning, I simply invite you to respond. Ministry teams are going to come. And here's this morning. I know we're running late. We had a mission trip announcement, which is great. And so this morning, what I want us to do is simple.